Well, Bo Nix is back for Oregon football next year, and they've got all the tools to maximize his talents. But will they? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. The mailbag questions are exceptional. I've actually had a couple of these thoughts on my mind recently anyway, so great minds think alike, Duck fans. Again, YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. This one from John. Spencer, here's a very open-ended question, my favorite kind, for you to ponder while you have a great week at Disney World. This, of course, came in before that, and I have been pondering, John. How can Oregon's offense best maximize Bo's full range of talents at the quarterback position? Well, the first thing they have to do is something they've already done, and that's surround him with weapons. This gets talked about more in the NFL sense because it's just kind of how that sort of thing works and because you have more known commodities there, whereas college, it's, you know, there's a little bit more of a guessing game, I think, because in terms of, you know, is this guy going to pop or is this freshman good? How's that guy going to play and all that sort of stuff? Young people are just generally more unpredictable, which makes a lot of sense, excuse me, which makes a lot of sense. I had Chick-fil-A earlier. Delicious. So Oregon needs to surround Bo Nix first and foremost with high-level skill position players. And they have done that. You've got Troy Franklin. That's a true number one wide receiver right there. Second team all-pac 12. You've got Treshawn Holden on the other side, who has shown himself capable in the ICC and could take an even bigger step forward at that Z receiver position opposite Troy Franklin this year for the Ducks. In the slot, you've got Chris Hudson and Tez Johnson. Yeah, those are good players. At the tight end position, you've got Terrence Ferguson, stud. I wish they had one of McCormick or Montevau, preferably Montevau, probably because he was a little bit younger. I think had uh, I, I think he has more upside. McCormick is more, you know, the player that we know he is, and he doesn't have as much room to grow because he's a good player. But I loved Montevau's upside and was really bummed that he transferred. I think UCLA got a good one there. But you've got Terrence Ferguson, who's a great receiver and a good run blocker. And you've got Patrick Herbert behind him, who I think has you know some room to grow, but is overall a really solid number two tight end. You've got running backs, Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington. These guys are really good. You've got Jordan James. You've got Jaden Lamar and Dante Dowdell coming into the mix as true freshmen this year. So they're fine at that position. Now, the biggest question here for maximizing Bo Nix's talent in 2023 is offensive line number one and the offensive coordinator, Will Stein, number two. Start with the offensive line. It was a critical component of what Oregon did and why their offense was so good because of how they played stylistically in 2022. They were a run-first offense, and they used that to set up heavy play-action shots. And the other thing that I loved about what Dillingham did schematically last year is the way he would use Bo Nix's mobility. He would call quarterback runs, but it was not a huge feature of the offense. He almost made him be more of a pocket passer than he was at Auburn, and I think he developed in that sense as a result. 
But when his mobility was called upon, whether that was to extend a play or a designed rollout, like the my favorite play that Oregon ran last year, I don't really know what they call it. It's basically a sprint half-naked bootleg where you shift the offensive line to the left, so you get the defensive line out of the way. The tight end stays on the end line on the strong side of the play where the quarterback's going to roll to, and then he waits, he pump fakes left, and then he sprints back to the right, usually, for for Bo Nix, who's a right-handed quarterback. And there was always just all this time, all this space, and what it was doing was buying time to allow routes to develop down the field, to take those downfield shots to Chase Coda, to Chris Hudson, to Troy Franklin, And we saw them execute it time and time again. And then you have a running back option in the flat as well. Every time it seemed like Oregon called that play, it worked. And you don't call it more often because then they start to get ready for it. But every time Kenny Dillingham dialed up that specific concept, I felt like it was a big play for Oregon. There was, uh, they, they did it a couple times against Washington State. They did it against UCLA a couple times. They did it against Arizona. They, 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 they use that concept a lot. And I want to see that same sort of thing. Because the offensive line is a critical part of, of Bo Nix having success for deep play action shots that he takes from within the pocket. You know, think like the a long ball to Chris Hudson against Washington State or the UCLA touchdown to Troy Franklin, right? That beautiful just drop in the basket rainbow downfield. Bo Nix had a lot of time to throw. And having weapons is great, but if you don't have the offensive line to protect your quarterback or the scheme to be able to work around an offensive line that's just okay, then it doesn't matter very much. Because you could have an elite wide receiver all you want. If he only has one and a half seconds to get open, all you can throw him is a slant pass or a quick fade. So the offensive line has to be there. And I expect them to take a step back because you just can't possibly expect them to be as good as they were in 2022. But that brings into question the next part of this equation of if you're going to maximize Bo Nix's talent in his last year of college football, the way I would like to see, the way John would like to see, the way many of you would like to see, the schematic approach of the offense is going to be an essential component because there is enough talent and experience and potential to have a good offensive line it, and an above average offensive line, I think is at a reasonable expectation. Not last year, but still above average, but the way that they use Bo Nix from a mobility standpoint, how much they use him in the run game is up to Will Stein, right? From a play calling standpoint, from a formation standpoint, from a a mindset standpoint, that's all up to our new offensive coordinator to figure out. And Frank Harris ran the ball a pretty good amount last year. Is Oregon going to want to do that this year with Bo Nix? I understand the, the worry with regards to, well, you know, what if he gets hurt? Though Bo Nix improved dramatically as a passer in his first year with Oregon, which is a testament to the offensive line, the offensive coordinator, and the support staff or the supporting cast he had around him, he still needs to be able to use his legs to be his most effective, right? I mean, he showed a lot of grit, a lot of toughness those last three weeks, playing through an injury uh, last couple of weeks, I guess. Um, I don't even think he was 100% in the Holiday Bowl, but he still played, which which was fantastic, and he played quite well. Had a bad stretch in there, but still played pretty well for the most part, and played well when Oregon needed him to. But you have to com- you have to keep that component there if you're Will Stein. You can't remove it and say, "Well, you're just not going to think about you know Mariota in his second year. He got hurt, 
and it derailed Oregon's season a little bit. Bo Nix got hurt this past year, kind of derailed Oregon's season. It was a big component as to why. Yeah, there were defensive collapses, but Bo Nix getting hurt, yeah, that didn't help. It didn't help. It did the opposite of help. But the ceiling for your offense when your mobile quarterback, a guy of Bo Nix's caliber athletically, is able to use that, and if you're able to get him into rollouts, use his arm strength, use his legs, your offense becomes so much more dynamic, so much more difficult to defend. And I think Bo Nix honestly got unlucky getting hurt last year. I think he's experienced enough running the football to know and tough enough and big enough to know how to run, when to run, and when to just get down and avoid taking a big hit. So I I think that should continue to be a part of, of the offense. Occasional design quarterback runs, the read option being a part of the offense. I do think, as I talked about recently on the show, we'll see that you know, kind of triple option, essentially, where you've got a Z receiver or a tight end going into the flat off of the read option action just to spread the defense out or make them think a a little bit harder. I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's perfectly reasonable. So I think Oregon's got all the potential there and it's going to come down to the offensive line and the offensive coordinator and how they play. So now that we've got football talk out of the way, who doesn't love some expansion talk? I mean, I, I love it on the one hand. I don't on the other because I, I wish it wasn't happening. But a fascinating question about Oregon or the Big Ten. And the other fascinating question is why haven't you signed up for FanDuel yet? I don't know either because we're past the midway point in the NBA season. Playoffs are right around the corner. March Madness is this week. These are all reasons that you should go sign up for FanDuel. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet everything you need in there. March Madness, NBA, player props, parlays. And you can get a no-sweat first bet. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Go sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more and get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, I need a sip of water. Okay. Question from The Slayer. Kind of a baller name. You know, put yourself out there like that. Like, Okay. It's a vibe. It is 100% a vibe. Hey, Spencer. That's me. If the Big Ten's overall target is Notre Dame, wouldn't Stanford or Cal and or Cal, he puts a slash in there, which can be and or, it can be and or, it can be and or. Okay, I'm going to stop that nonsense right now. That's where if I had a director on the show or a producer, he'd get in my ear and say, Spencer, shut it down. (laughs) Hey, Spencer, if the Big Ten's overall target is Notre Dame, wouldn't Stanford or Cal be their first choice over Oregon or Washington? And if that happens and the four corners go to the Big 12, worst case scenario, I agree, not particularly likely, where would that leave the Ducks? So you're correct. You're 100% correct. Like for all the 
One thing I've objected objected to on this show and on my Pac-12 show consistently is the people who are under this impression that conference realignment works any way a school would like it to. Well, if the money isn't enough, then Oregon and Washington are just going to go to the Big Ten. Who told you that the Big Ten just automatically wants Oregon and Washington? It doesn't mean they're the least appealing targets because the Bay Area schools in Oregon and Washington, there's a, there was a report back in July or August after the USC and UCLA news got announced, there was a report that those four schools were examined by the Big Ten, which makes a lot of sense. You could have created a West Coast pod. You could have gone for the kill on the Pac-12. And guess what? They didn't because the Big Ten presidents decided and then parted ways with their commissioner, Kevin Warren, as a result, yeah, 16 teams right now, we're good. Now they might want to go to 18. And if I'm the Big Ten, I'm looking at Notre Dame over Oregon or Washington, and it's not particularly close. I mean, reputationally, academically, athletics, TV viewership, Notre Dame is above Oregon in that sense. Like, that, that, that is not, not close. If I'm a Big Ten president, I would be going after Notre Dame before I went after Oregon and Washington. Doesn't mean I wouldn't consider the Northwest schools, but it means if I'm looking to expand further to 18 teams, I'm looking at Notre Dame first. So then you need someone to pair with them. And it does make sense. You would then look West because there isn't a logical next partner or next option for the Big Ten to look at that's not at the Power 5 level already because the Big Ten typically adds power five schools. I mean, they, who's the last G five school they added? They added Nebraska. That was from the big 12. They're adding USC and UCLA. That's from the PAC 12. Maryland and Rutgers were in the ACC, I believe before they went to the big 10. So, or the big East, one of the two, but regardless, like that's what the big 10 is. They don't go to the G five ranks. So then if you look at the PAC 12, and I think that the Slayer here is bringing up a really interesting point, And one that I agree with, that Stanford would be a logical partner there because Stanford has a history with Notre Dame. They've played a football game every year for my entire life. They play every year. Them and USC. They have this little football love triangle, if you will, where Stanford plays USC because they're in the same conference, but Stanford plays Notre Dame and USC plays Notre Dame. Well, if the rivalries in the history already exist, then that removes, you know, what is, at least in my view, um, a downside to realignment, which is you go to a place where you don't have any familiarity with the schools, you don't have any history, but you don't have that problem if you add Stanford. And academically, the Big Ten is a bunch of elite institutions. I mean, top flight. And Oregon is an AAU member at least, but they do not do the level of research compared to the LA schools. And that sort of stuff matters to university presidents because it's worth far more for their endowment and total amount of money they have access to than athletics. Like it's not particularly close. And Stanford is what? A top five school in the country? And they're doing over a, a billion in research a year and their reputation as an elite academic power. I mean, they're, they're Harvard West, right? That's what everybody calls them. Harvard, uh, they're the Ivy League school that is in the Pac-12. So they'd be a perfect fit for the Big Ten in that sense. Now, academics are not the only concern, just like athletics are not the only concern. 
and Stanford football and men's basketball lately kind of stink. So the question would become, would Stanford's academic potential, or not, not potential, would Stanford's academic standing be enough to supersede their athletic mediocrity at this point in time? But this is a different question if you go back to 2012, when Stanford football is rolling. And at that point, who cares what basketball is doing? Football was in the national championship discussion year in and year out. Andrew Luck, Jim Harbaugh, Christian McCaffrey, Kevin Hogan, David Schott. Like, that was a really, really powerful time. And that's what Stanford is capable of being. And I think we've all kind of forgotten that because they've been so egregiously bad and might be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. So... Stanford would make a lot of sense to the Big Ten. I mean, a ton of sense. And if I'm the Big Ten and I want to expand, Notre Dame's the team I've got my eye on. It's in Indiana. I'm actually going to Notre Dame. Uh, I'm going to their campus this week because Southern Utah women's basketball, shout out the Thunderbirds, are in the big dance for the first time ever. They're a 14 seed. Notre Dame's a three on the women's side of the bracket. The host sites are first-round games, or the first-round games are played at host sites is the better way to put that. And I get to call the game on radio, which I'm beyond stoked for because I'm going to get to broadcast in some capacity a March Madness game, which is like dream come true. So that is literally right in the heart of Big Ten country. I mean, they already have the University of Indiana. And Notre Dame, I think, would be considered the, the flag-bearing school for the state of Indiana. But regardless, geography... TV, everything about Notre Dame to the Big Ten makes sense to me. It's a matter of whether or not the Irish would want it. I think it's the one scenario where if the Irish wanted to go to the Big Ten, then the Big Ten would just automatically say yes. And, and they're kind of waiting on Notre Dame. Like, there's no reason to not want Notre Dame. But Stanford is a much more logical partner for them than Oregon or Washington. Because Stanford and USC have both been, you know, navigating putting uh, Notre Dame on their schedule late in the year every season or in the middle of the season. And so as a result, Stanford and USC usually play in like week two in the first Pac-12 conference game of the year. And I, I, I think that would be a perfectly logical fit. You'd have three teams in the state of California. Now, now the question there is, are there any ties between Stanford and Cal? Don't know. I, I don't like I, I know that they're tied together and that they're both in the Bay Area, but are there any legal binding legally binding ties or are there any contracts where Stanford would never leave Cal? I don't know. That's what I don't know the answer to. But from the outside, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, if that and then the, the second part of the Slayers question is if that happens and the four corners go to the Big Twelve, worst case scenario, where would that leave the Ducks? Well, it would leave them begging to get into the Big Ten. But if Stanford left the pack, I, which I, I find to be unlikely, though not impossible. And when I'm talking about realignment here, I'm talking about the next round. I think this round of realignment is done. No, no, nobody else is going anywhere. The Pac-12 at some point, I hope, is going to get a media deal done. And then the conference will be locked into that. It'll probably be a five, six-year grant of rights. But then in five, six years, when the media deal is up, these conversations will come around again. And I think that it's very realistic the Big Ten could go after Notre Dame and then as a result, come after another Pac-12 school, Pac-12 school, most likely Stanford. And then if you lost Stanford and the four corner schools to the Big 12, then 
I, I don't know how the Pac-12 would stay together. It certainly wouldn't maintain Power 5 status. If you just lost Stanford, you probably could, but you'd, you'd be hanging by a thread, but you still could maintain Power 5 status from an athletic standpoint, but that would leave Oregon to either go to the Big 12, which I know they don't really want to do, or trying somehow desperately to get in the Big 10 and go in there at a reduced rate. So good question. Uh, went on a little bit of a tangent there. But you know what? That's how the show often uh, often works. All right. We wrap today with a particular subject. That subject being Oregon basketball. And they play today as this episode drops in the NIT on ESPN. or I think it's ESPN2 something. Um, don't really remember because it's the NIT. And look, I'll follow along. I'd like them to win because I like winning more than losing, but I wanted them to win the Holiday Bowl more than I would like them to make a deep run in the NIT. But this is the second straight year that Oregon has been a major disappointment on the men's basketball front. They should have made the tournament last year if they'd avoided stupid losses. And this year, they would have made the tournament if they'd avoided stupid losses. But lo and behold, here we are. I have seen questions get asked before amongst the Oregon fan community, who I obviously, number one, consider myself a part of, and number two, love and respect all of you because you're wonderful and you support this show. But Dana Altman is not going to get fired. That is not a thing that's going to happen. Is Oregon basketball where it should be? No. Not at all. Back-to-back years missing the tournament, that's never happened with a Dana Altman team since things got rolling. That's not okay in my book, but it also does not yet warrant the major hot seat conversation. Okay, yes, we've seen Oregon basketball get to a Final Four with Dane Allman, by the way. Just, just remember, the, the basketball history before Dane Allman got there, there was an Elite Eight with Ernie Kent. There was a national championship in 1939. I think there was a great run in the early 2000s. It's been pretty sparse. It is not reputationally the same as Oregon football since 2008. Now, they have elevated themselves, but my expectations for Oregon football are higher than that of basketball. Not by like a huge chasm, but there's a little bit of a gap there. The Ducks ended this year going into the NIT game against UC Irvine, 19 and 13. All right, that's not as good as they should have done. But this is a year that is seen by myself included as a disappointment because they missed the tournament. They still won 19 games. They have a chance to get to 20 wins again tonight with UC Irvine, which I believe Dane Altman has had in every year except for maybe one. Might even have been uh, every season to this point. Like 20 win seasons are nothing. But when you have a coach who could rack up another 20 win season and it be seen as a disappointment, that is not a coach you readily move on from just because you want to get to the tournament, which I, which I do as well. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, basketball fans, totally in that camp. And if they don't get to the tournament next year, then you got to look at moving on. But context matters here. Jermaine Kuznard, Keyshawn Bartholomew, N. Folly Dante, Nate Biddle. Just keep going down the list of injuries they had early in the year. Do you think that affected a couple wins? Absolutely. Should they still have won those games? Yes. But was it harder to win them without those guys playing regularly or playing at all? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And a 19 and 13 season is not what we wanted. It's not the sort of season that you look at and go, okay, time to move on to get a new basketball coach. Like 39 wins at, at, at this point, a chance for 40 in the last two years. That's not a disaster crisis. It's disappointment. It's monitor the situation and hope for improvement and need to see improvement. But it is not, this is not a, you know, the dam is cracked and the water is coming through and the town is flooding. Like we're, we're not at that point. If Oregon, ever, if Dana Altman ever had a sub 500 season, then you could say, all right, this has been an incredible run, winning as coach in program history, I believe, time to move on. But that's not where we're at at this point in time. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.